I hope you're not driving too fast of a car to slow down and listen. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing the self-titled debut by uh, Tracy Chapman, our second um, singer-songwriter album this month, entirely self-composed. If you don't know, Tracy Chapman's name has been coming out a bit more the past couple months because of a very popular cover of her signature song, Fast Carts. Once again, one of the most popular songs in the country this summer. And so I figured that's just the perfect time to revisit where it all started, how it um came to be. Originally, we got to go back to how it all came about. And it was with one woman and her guitar. That was how it all started. Uh, Many, many uh, back in 1988. So, yeah, man, this was huge for singer songwriters. Uh, like this was a huge boost. This album doing as well as it did was a almost another call to arms, you know? Oh yeah, definitely it looks that way. Um, because uh just if you look at the top hits of 1988, this just was not the sound of it. This was um such an outlier in uh so many ways but it turned out to be just what some people were looking for something away from the gloss of the late 80s uh yeah it definitely revived this singer songwriter folk sound that we were going for um of course how did we get there that is the question so the year before this album was released in 1987 uh tracy chapman was just an independent singer-songwriter. But um, she was discovered by a guy named Brian Koppelman, and he found the demo of her song talking about a revolution, and uh, she, like, didn't really think much of his offer, even though his father had a publishing company. She just didn't think much of it. But he sent this song to radio, and she got a deal with Elektra Records. So that was a big get for the time uh definitely with a major label headed up by Warner Brothers so immediate backing by a major label huge get from the beginning and um but it was even tough to get a producer for the album because it was this contemporary folk sound and that was just not in vogue at the time in 1987 or 88 but he she ended up recording with um David Kirschenbaum, and we got an album with a lot of songs based on political and social causes, much like the great singer-songwriters of the 60s, like in that vein of Dylan and Phil Oaks and all those people from back in the day. This is a new era of protest music in a way, but it also has some uh, personal touches to it, which I think helped it and showed the evolution from the 60s uh, singer-songwriter cause into what we got into the 70s, so, which was much more personal. You can even see that it, within Bob Dylan's work itself. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, yeah, the move from the social to the political. And she was. She was, I mean, he met her, I don't know if they met, but the first time he heard her was at an apartheid rally uh, at college, and she was that that singer she was that rebel sound she was that you know she was out there for the cause and you're talking about you said it the best the huge jump i mean you go from a college buddy giving him his dad a demo and then boom you were signed with electra you know 
And like you said, nobody wanted to work with her, but it, she was unknown and the sound was so off. So, yeah, it's a crazy one. But that's exactly what she is. Protest singer at her roots. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, um, I mean, especially you have to consider she was at this point a protest singer during the Reagan era of the United States, which is we're in an era of yuppies and uh, um, a lot of, frankly, a lot of causes being ignored, like Reagan didn't discuss AIDS, for instance. Um, there were just a lot of people out there who I think you could argue were disenfranchised and they felt they were getting the shaft with this administration and, uh, here comes a voice for all of that, but that was not the popular viewpoint because this was a popular administration. So something to the contrary, I don't think was probably going to be well-received by everybody. And this album got big in a pretty unconventional way, actually. So June of 1988, there was a tribute concert held for Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday. He was in prison at the time, but it was for apartheid reasons. And uh, this was a big event. Uh, many people were involved with it. And it was at Wembley Stadium in London, which I think that tells you there the magnitude. But she was here and she did a few songs and that was it. But then Stevie Wonder had some technical mishaps and couldn't go on. And so who came out and did his set for him, at least part of it? Tracy Chapman. She came out and just did two songs on her acoustic guitar, one of which was Fast Car for this crowd of tens of thousands of people. And people watched it. They were really intrigued by this um new young voice in music and her album sales shot through the roof and the song became a huge hit and the rest is history what a, what a fitting call from the universe you know the first time that she's heard is at a small apartheid rally and then one of the largest times she's ever heard is at the champion of of the people you know during these apartheid times it's pretty wild yeah, it definitely is. And, um, but people responded to this, as I said. So this album did end up topping the Billboard 200, and, uh, it did well throughout Europe as well. It's now gone six times platinum in the U.S., and it's sold at this point, I believe, over 20 million copies worldwide, which is incredible. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's often credited with helping to bring back singer-songwriters, and they were definitely a part of what we got in the 90s. They were much bigger than they were in the 80s. There was also great critical acclaim with it um, at the time and retrospectively. This has been on every edition of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. It was nominated for quite a few Grammys. It, um ended up losing album of the year to George Michael's Faith, but that's also a, a good luck beating George Michael in 1988 on anything, because he was the top artist that year, it seems, but I'm guessing this was probably, like, second place in the votes, I would think. I would have to think so. I mean... <laughs> Faith is a tough album for this album to go up against, as, you know, as well done yeah. as this album is. 
That's, that's a tough one there. Yeah, but at the same time, I think that goes to show you that was popular music in 1988. It was Faith by George Michael. Not just that, but it was the biggest album of the time. And there is no I Want Your Sex on uh, this album. Um, <laughs> there isn't even a father figure on this album. This right. is a, a stripped-down political social commentary folk album with slightly more contemporary production, but that's what we got in 1988, and there were a lot of people that were there to listen to it. Yeah, man. So, um, you told me last week, um, that this was one of the albums that was a big part of your childhood. This is one of the albums that was a regular on the, uh, on the turntable growing up this is definitely one that was weekend cleaning it was on all the time relaxing it was on the time it was akin to the paul simon sounds or the crosby stills and nash sounds i grew up in a huge vogelberg taylor um carly simon household so this was one that that made its way on there because it shared that sound and that calmness even though there's a lot to be said there is a, not even a lot to be said. There is a lot said on this album that sometimes gets uh, almost hidden behind the uh, the music around it. But it's definitely one that was always on in my house. Yeah. <laughs> Easy to see how uh, people who would have been fans of that early 70s Laurel Canyon sound would have gravitated the best, but... Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it was even noted that yuppies were listening to this as well, even though it criticizes their lifestyle heavily. They were still listening to it. <laughs> so, um, really just goes to show you this had a wide appeal. And uh, even with some of what was said, it didn't ruffle too many feathers because of the sound of it. Yeah, it's, it's a soothing sound at the very least. In fact, I feel like I'm more relaxed right now because. I ended up listening to it again before we started this. I am I feel like I'm more relaxed than usual coming yeah. into the podcast. So it, it's that calming sound. Yeah, it's a mellow sound. and um, But it's an important sound. And uh, we're still hearing its ramifications 35 years later. So I think that's why it's a great time to go back and discuss it. And uh, with that being said, I'm ready to dive into this bad boy. Let's do it. All right. So the album begins with a song called Talking About a Revolution. I think that kind of sets the tone for this. We're going to just based on the title, I think you can tell it's a social commentary song. And yeah, it is. She's saying like poor people are going to rise up and get their share. Uh, this is probably the most explicitly political song on the album. It has a nice little backbeat to it but i mean it it very much like you hear her talked about unemployment lines welfare armies of salvation there's definitely she's got something to say here and i feel like she's definitely speaking for those i think who were marginalized at this time or who felt marginalized circa 1988 and but she's saying like they're gonna where we've got a revolution coming and I think this is a perfect album opener. I feel like our idea is uh, communicated very effectively, and it just sets the tone for what we're going to be getting here. We are going to be hearing these 
um, songs uh, that take on social issues, but not in an angry way. We're not getting angry protesting. It's going to be done in a calm way with an undercurrent of love. And I think this song really sums that up nicely. It sums it up from the moment it starts to, to the end of it, musically and lyrically. Lyrically, sometimes more of a... Uh, I want to say angrier tone through its lyrics. More, they're they're very, they're more jarring uh, of a tone in its lyrics. But we get a great start to this album to let us know uh, who this lady is and, and what she's all about in in both regards. So you know we get this solo acoustic beginning to a so to basically a solo acoustic player and and a, a folk album here which i love but throughout this call to action in this in this talking about a revolution she whispers whispers the word whispers in there she sticks it in and it starts to crescendo not only in tone and and power but also crescendo as we stack on these instruments and the first one to come in is the bass and it has this really happy tone about it it really uh i'll say like almost early victorious tone about it and it, it keeps stacking up and then here we get the drums and by the end of this piece it's fully realized and we have such an awesome awesome happy feeling i'm so glad you said it you know we're gonna get this stuff but we're not gonna get it in anger um, and sh she shows it so well on this first track. Yeah, completely agreed. And uh, it's one that, um, it was the second single for the album. It charted at 75 on the Hot 100. I can kind of see why it didn't get a lot of radio play. But, uh, you know, it's a beloved folk song. And um, it was used as a campaign song for Senator Bernie Sanders in 2016, which... Um, <laughs> If you know anything about Bernie Sanders, that's pretty fitting for him. This is his platform, so. Wow, I never do that, but that is. <laughs> I didn't know that until very recently, but it makes perfect sense. That's cool. Yeah. So there we have it. So that's our opener. And now um, with that, we're, we're going to go into an even more mellow tone, something a bit more of a personal story. Or is it? It's. Fast Car, the song I'm guessing you're all <laughs> waiting to hear about. Um, I'm guessing everybody who opened to stream this podcast has heard this song before, but in case you haven't, it is a tune about a woman looking to escape poverty, and um, the Fast Car represents escapism from poverty. And, uh, yeah, this was the song she performed at Mandela's birthday concert that got her all the attention, this was a huge hit. It made it to number six on the Hot 100 and top 10 throughout the world, even topped the charts in five countries. So, all over the place. And uh, it's just never gone away since, even before uh, recently. This one's always been omnipresent. It's always been a radio favorite. Um, people have been covering it for years and years at this point. And, uh, I mean, I really don't know. This is one of those songs, like, what else is there to say about Fast Car? It almost at times is to the point, it might run the risk of going into the background because it's so omnipresent. But really, it is a powerful tale that's being told here. 
And um, I think it's an important one. What do you think? I, I think it's now an iconic rift. We have this earwig of a now iconic rift that has never left or once it came. I think before I break down the musicality of the song, another reason why I love this is the way she was found and the quickness she was found. And the second track on her debut album that nobody wanted to produce is an iconic, timeless song that has lived ever since then uh, in, in the public's ear and eye. Um, it's it's such a beautiful song. It's so her imagery throughout this whole entire song is just so super powerful. And for me, I think that's one of the strengths. One of the biggest strengths of this song is that her ability to have this unique voice is it doesn't take away from the pronunciation and ease of access to, uh, the listener has to her lyrics. You don't have to search um, yeah. to, to hear. You hear she's very, very profound uh, that way it, as far as the imagery, but also just very too, very well-spoken is the word I was looking for there throughout her singing. I think that's super powerful. People automatically can hear this story and, and have a good time with it. Um, and, and it's that lived in narrative that I love about this so much too. this, this narrative that you you can feel like you're right there uh, with this, with, with this struggle throughout this whole entire song, you feel like you're right there. And I think that's why it, it has made its impact on music like it has. Yeah. And what's really interesting about it too, is it's a song that talks about escaping poverty and even once they do escape, it's not all it seems to be because they lost themselves while trying to escape their background. And I think that's a really telling thing to show that, hey, like, maybe you're poor, but if you have love, that's something. It, and it's also a reoccurring theme throughout this album, which yes. is pretty cool, too. Yeah. Yes, but uh, before we move on to the next song... It is, I, I think we do need to discuss the currently popular cover. Um, it, It's actually a bit, there's been more said about it than you would expect. I was pretty surprised to find all that has been said about this cover. So um, country singer Luke Combs covered it on his most recent album, and it wasn't even the lead single, but people just kept listening to it and it blew up. And uh, it, yeah, it's one of the most popular songs in the country right now. It's been huge. Um, I'm curious, first off, just what, what do you think of the cover? It's cool. I, I, in a weird way and not trying to sound... I'm not even trying to be funny about it. In a weird way, the I.E.I. has a very lendable characteristic that can go over to that country feel. So for just that, it, it has a little bit of weight on it, you know, and, and he, he does it justice. It, it's cool. I like it. Yeah. He he changes very little about it. And there, there are some people out there saying it's better than the original. I do not agree with that. I think that he, um, I mean, it's very faithful. I do think he misses out on some of the subtleties of the original's narrative. But um, what's so interesting to me about this is so... Well, let's go back a bit. So how does Tracy feel about it? Um, 
She said, quote, I never expected to find myself on the country charts, but I'm honored to be there. I'm happy for Luke and his success and grateful that new fans have found and embraced Fast Car, unquote. And uh, yeah, she's also getting a shit ton of money from this. Because <laughs> as of June 8th, it had already made half a million in publishing royalties. Good for her. And uh, yeah, be that's hers. Yeah, she's getting a very nice payday from this. But this cover is actually kind of controversial. Why so? And- and um, it is because this song is by a black queer woman. She hasn't um confirmed what her sexuality is, but it's widely she has had. She, there was the writer Alice Walker did say she was in a long term relationship with Tracy Chapman, so it's widely been kind of assumed that Tracy Chapman is a lesbian, even if she hasn't come out and said it. She's private about that. About her personal life that's just she keeps it separate from her songwriting and um there's discussion of like is it really appropriate for a white a straight white male to be covering a black queer woman's song and um another part of this conversation is the fact that specifically it's a country singer and now tracy chapman is the first black woman to have had a soul writing credit on the number one country hit but it was when a white man covered it and there's been a lot of quite a bit of criticism leveled at nashville for not being inclusive of black artists and so there are some people who feel some type of way about this silly Uh, you know it's silly to think that we as a human race would go as far as to find a problem with one person singing another person's song, whether for whoever wrote this and whoever wants to sing it now. I mean, that music is put out there to share and to enjoy. And I just feel like that, that is a a projected ulterior motive that is not there to begin with. You know, and to go at Nashville too is is I just don't understand that. That's a, a, a like a a weird how how can you even base an argument on that? Uh, as far as retrospectively, that's tough. I don't know, but the 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 first one I feel is very projected. I mean, yeah, I don't think he. I would. I certainly don't think he. I think he covered the song because he liked the song. Yeah, it's a great song. That's definitely what i think but at the same time i kind of do see the point about nashville at the same time because it there it's definitely country music is very much a white male genre there's not a lot of representation in it and i do think there's something to be said there but i don't know if this is the way to make that case i'll say that i'll also say i do not have the knowledge the the knowledge to talk about whether there were artists are artists will be artists that aren't being you know included um but that's tough yeah it, is this the way to make it i don't think that's the way to make that argument yeah. and here's the other thing regardless of what we think it is still much better than jason aldean's new song so i'm happy i'm, I'm <laughs> grateful for that uh, at least we have this on country radio and uh because yeah 
that that's all I gotta say about that. We want to talk about racist. Listen to that, cause whoo, have uh, you heard sh- it? Sh- no, no, no. I'm still. I'm literally still stuck in the the. Oh no, the, I'm actually really fired up about it. No, this no, song. I, I have no knowledge of it. This it is. It's bad. That stinks. I, I didn't listen to it, but I just read the lyrics, and it was like, okay, it's li- he's literally threatening violence against people in the song. Well, that ain't cool. And the video was filmed at the site of a lynching. That's pretty insane. Yeah, it is. But yeah, now uh, we're, we're going to go out of Nashville completely back to 1988 folk singing with our next song, which is Across the Lines. Interestingly, a song that does take on race. This one takes on um the topic of geographical segregation, uh, which is... um. Something that has been written a lot about. I don't think I'm the foremost person to be discussing that, but there are, I can't think of any resources off the top of my head. I'm sorry, but definitely look into that. If, um, I think it's an interest, uh, I think it's important to look into. I'll say that. I think it's good that we're informed about what's going on in our country. I'll just leave it at that. But, um, like this song is really powerful, uh, in my opinion. The really most telling line to me is, Little black girl gets assaulted. Don't no one know her name. And um, just hearing this song, uh, it really just brought to light to me these incidents of police brutality that we've seen play out these past few years. That was really what this song reminded me of. And it, I think that just goes to show, you know, even though these songs weren't written today, they're really... She's speaking the truth of today as well. There are still, there is still stuff like this going on. And um, I think that in that case, this is a really powerful song. And I kind of see it as like a musical form of the MLK quote, a riot is the le- is the language of the unheard. That, that's a really great, a great thought there. Thank you for that one. This is a super powerful one here. Um not only is it a powder keg of emotions going throughout, but we really get a cool use of the across the lines because it's used very literally as the wrong side of the tracks or under the bridge uh, inside of the song. But you also, in my interpretation, uh, are, are we're also talking about crossing the lines of this riot, uh, you know, that that line drawn in the sand right in between these two people during this. Uh, It's super powerful. This composition musically though, it tends to sit weird in a few places for me, especially the way it outros, it like switches keys and it just, the, it's a very unique is the word I'm going to use here. Composition Uh, is very powerfully, uh, very powerful lyrically, but the, Musical composition here is a little bit lackluster for me. Yeah, I, I think that might be the 1988 talking. Um, well, also, I mean, yeah, we're looking at an album that was recorded in eight weeks. Um, there's a lot of players, like great house players on this album, uh, but it's not a band that she was with. And 
a lot of this is going to get, unfortunately, it's going to get written, you know, inside of it. I would, I would hope that all of this is her words and, you know, stuff that she was working on, but Electra wants to put out an album. We're going to do 11 tracks. You can see by the length of some of these, they weren't really all the way hashed out as full songs. And I think, you know, that, that writing done on the spot on the fly by different artists can, sometimes leak in and i think this is one of the cases here interesting i i'm wondering how much we'll think that again throughout the album because this isn't an album of long songs fast car is the longest track on the album yeah um so uh but um i i think that's an interesting not to be repetitive but i think that's a point we should go back to um Uh, but because speaking of short songs our next song is a really short one um behind the wall this is an acapella song taking on domestic violence from the perspective of the neighbor, um, which is, I think, pretty unique because typically you hear it from the perspective of uh, the victim. But in this case, it's one of the bystanders who has to hear it. And um, it it also, this one pretty uh, explicitly attacks the police. It won't do no good to call the police because they can't interfere with domestic affairs between a man and his wife. And, um, I think this is a really short song and uh, it does kind of, it is repeated a lot, but I think that the acapella is such a smart choice because it shows the severity of the situation and really makes its point clear. You don't have anything to distract you from what's being said here. And it really makes you think whether you've been in the situation or not, you just are like, wow like it's just it's in a way i feel like if you um like never heard anything really anti-police before i feel like this could be even disillusioning because you would think well why wouldn't the police stop domestic affairs but i mean it, it's shedding a light on this what she was seeing in her experience which she saw as the systemic issue um circa 1988 uh and i think it's a really powerful song that makes you think it is indeed it's for me it's a beautiful segue here um it's a beautiful poem it's a beautiful acapella track um this is the first time where this album starts to feel like a performance piece to me and i like that especially knowing who she was before this and who she is Um, again and I'll drive it home as a protest singer this is still a protest song this is still a you know a down a a song about the downtrodden a song about a terrible systematic things like you said that that are happening here Um, it's a really neat track four and it really I I, I really feel like it opens up the album um, because we got a lot a lot of that music that we we're going to get from her, but this just shows the other side to this artist and really showcases it well. And it's it's not long, you know, it's it's quick and it's very, very telling inside of of its narrative. Yes, couldn't agree more with you on that one. But uh, yeah, it is a segue of sorts as well, because we are going to go into a bit of a more personal realm for our next track, which is Baby Can I Hold You, which is our first love song. Um, I still feel like this kind of has a right person, wrong time 
feel to it lyrically. At least that's how I take it. I think it's a nice enough song, but I don't think it packs the punch of the previous more politically charged songs. I find those to be more powerful. Um, and it's just kind of at an odd place in the album in between all these political songs, because we've got more coming up after this. Um, I think that might be my biggest issue with it here at track five. It just doesn't work here. It should have been closer to the end of the album. But um, there were people who liked this song. It was the third single. It made it the 48 on the Hot 100 and topped the charts uh, in Brazil and Portugal. So <laughs> that's something. But I, I think this is my least favorite here. Yeah, I that's sort of an understatement for me. As far as uh, this whole entire song, really, I, I try to find Silver Lining Playbook in it, but it seems... It seems contrived and it seems forced on both the lyrical side and the the musical side. The musical side seemed uh, uh, like in my notes, I have backing band is akin to a bad 80s wedding band on this one. Uh, it, it really just doesn't hold up. It, it, it For me, it seems really phoned in, especially on on in the musicality of it. Um it just it, it doesn't fit right, it, especially like you said, right here after a beautiful acapella, uh, hard hitting song. This is what we, we chose. It feels very, very out of place. If you're going to keep this on the album, I could see it coming a few tracks later and inside of a pocket. Uh, but I really think Behind the Wall should have gone into the track that we get after Baby Can I Hold You Tonight. Um, and I this is a very weird choice. Um, this is one of those ones where I go into like full on um, conspiracy theory mode in my head because it just doesn't make sense. Like who made her put that there and who made this song have to happen? Uh, like this, this had to be yeah. lit. No, I actually I think this was label pressure. Yeah. It's like you're on a major label. You got to write something a bit more commercial. You got to write a love song. It can't be all singing about the, how you don't like the place like yeah well i could see that too but yeah i just i feel like this one is i tried not to use it but it's got to come out every episode this is the machine right here it in is. some shape or form it's the machine i don't doubt one. that for a minute because <laughs> always rears its head but speaking of the machine the next song is all about that uh track number six Mountains of Things. This song is all about materialism, uh, which I think is perfect for this era of yuppies, um, circa 1988. And uh, to me, I, I always, the lyric that really stands out to me the most is, um, renounce all those material things you gained by exploiting other human beings. And just, it's simple, but it cuts right through and uh, says what it needs to say. And um I also kind of see this as a take on, like she said, stop exploiting children, basically, because that's really uh, a lot of our material goods are made by children. And uh, honestly, this, in my opinion, the Brazilian inspired backbeat um, also made me think it's like we got this world music thing going on and these there's children in um, developing nations making our products for cheap and we're buying them. I, I just see this as an all around indictment on that. And I think it's brilliant in that regard. Um, 
So yeah, I'm a fan of this one. I'm right there with you. I love the extra thought of the world, uh, the world sound here. You know, the the world vibe here. I love that being a call. Uh, you know, an an undertone of speaking for the whole world. I love this track. Um, I like I said before. I wish this would have came straight out of behind the wall. The intro turns into this driving rift. I'm sorry. The intro turns into this driving riff that is just this beautiful mix of percussion with a faint melody on top. Super tribal, super world sound, like you said. Um, and it, it it just it goes off, man. This is such a cool story. I'm a sucker for these full circle stories too. I love when the first uh verse is the last verse and and it fits and then becomes this this dream like you know outro um this this is is an awesome song a very cool story love the way it's told uh just a really really well put together song this is what i and and it's the second if i'm correct the second longest song on the albums so for me like this is this and fast car in my opinion, are the ones that were already hashed out in her brain a hundred percent before they got in here. At least those two. Um, they they just feel like full songs to me. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think maybe some of these might have been full songs to begin with, because a lot of folk songs are sure. True. Th- true. This isn't a long-winded genre. So true. But um, I do agree that these are the most well thought out songs and they have their mo- their stories the most complete of everything here. And I do appreciate that because um, uh, it's not going to be quite as uh, we're not going to be quite going there into the elaborate indictment quite as much on our next song, which is track seven. She's got her ticket. Um. This has a story aspect to it. She's thinking about a young girl who's just ready to fly away and leave it all behind. Um, It does have some of the same musicality of the previous song, which I think is really nice. It makes them kind of good companions in a way. But what I think is, I find this song really an interesting contrast to Fast Car because they're both songs about wanting to get away from poverty, but this one has a more optimistic viewpoint. It doesn't have we got out of it and we lost it um, but through like drinking and all that. Like this song still references hatred, corruption, and greed, but this song presents opportunity. And I think that's the overwhelming theme of it. And it's like, go for the opportunity. And I like that about this song. This one, I think it's left pretty open-ended as to what's going to happen post-opportunity. But I think it's smart to have a contrasting point of view somewhat here. I don't like it as much as Fast Car Mountains of Things, but I think it does what it needs to do. Yeah, I I can see where you're coming from. It definitely shares some of that musicality of mountains, but I feel like it falls flat because of that. Um, For me, the island composition, the island vibe of this just doesn't work for me. Uh, especially at first on this track, just the way the story goes along with it, it, it never feels like it fits. It, it, it gets legs, but it never really flies. No pun intended, but it never really goes uh, for me. This is w- another one of those ones where I feel like it was written 
with the house band in my opinion um and ended up with a very lackluster composition this is a, such a cool story uh and i really love the the way she tells it in this but i just for me it loses a lot because of this just i, I hate to use phoned in but it's just like this real cookie cutter island vibe with a solo later on in it doesn't sing for me I, I can see where you're coming from with that one a bit, but uh, we we are moving off the island musically with our next song, which is um a much more charged song, uh, which is why question mark. Uh, um, I'm sure this song title is great for Corey because it probably reminds him of the Jada Kiss hit of the same name. <laughs> you love stirring my pot. <laughs> You know, me and JD Kiss don't get along like that. <laughs> so that. Well, based on the song Why, I can understand because uh, not not one of the um, better songs I've ever heard. This song is better than that one, but uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, this song does ask some important questions such as why do the babies starve when there's enough food to feed the world? Um, just starting right off there. Um. And the, the song doesn't give us an answer to these questions, but it says we're going to need an answer because the people are going to be demanding an answer. Um, the one line in here that really stuck out to me, and I wonder how controversial this line was, because I haven't seen anything about it being especially controversial, but um, it's the one about why are the missiles called peacekeepers? Yeah. Um, because that's pretty cutting right there. Pretty cutting anti for rhetoric. Um uh I mean I I'm sure that alone means well we're not gonna send this to the t radio. They can't play that. <laughs> but um I think it's an interesting song. I think that I like the questions that it asks, but I do think that. I don't think it needs a solution, but I don't think it's fully thought out. Like, there's great fragments of a song here. But as a full song, I'm not sure it completely comes together, even though the parts are very, very good. If that makes sense. It makes sense. It's short, too. It's it's like yeah. 205. So it's... It's it's akin to me of like a grenade of a protest song. Like it explodes and it gets its point across. Um, but it's it's quick and it's loud, and that's about it, you know. Um, it's not necessarily the most profound musical experience we have here, but it, it does exactly what you said, it does its job. Um, I love the contradictory um you know tongue-in-cheek whatever you want to take it the love is war hate is peace no is yes and we are free like that's there you go that's perfect uh protest grenades right there in lyrical form um and and it's a, it's a short banger it's a short banger because of that yes yeah it is a banger <laughs> <laughs> that, that is for sure i will say i think it's more of a banger than our Next song, uh, let, uh, this one's an interesting one. For my lover, I, I my first note on this is not your granny's love song, because <laughs> um, yeah, this song references 
spending time in jail for your lover on $20,000 bail and being psychoanalyzed. <laughs> um, yeah, this song, it's pretty obvious to me. This is, I think, pretty clearly about same-sex relationships. Because <laughs> this isn't too long after the days where people were in the U.S., like, homosexuality was pretty recent history that was still considered illegal and the mental illness. And not everybody had caught up to that. In fact, there are still countries where it's illegal. So, I mean, I think that that's a really interesting point here. It's also been interpreted as being about interracial relationships, but I'm inclined to think it's more about the same sex ones. Um, I like what we're saying here, though. I think it's a really interesting metaphor because she doesn't come out and preach it to you, but it's done in this intense story but that I will do all of this for my lover because it's like even though I could get in big trouble and go to jail I love this person this much that I'm gonna do it even if it's forbidden and I think that's it's very interesting I wouldn't call this like a hot song by any means but I don't know it has that element to it lyrically while having that very calm background i think this is a really neat song you're you're right there with me on the intensity of it it's a calm intensity which is crazy um it, it starts off see i i love the way when we talk about it all the time but these different takes on these songs for me there was an ambiguity here as far as who who this lover was which side of the lovers were here whether it be same sex whether it be uh you know male female yada yada it was irregardless here because they were you know starting off on these tiny sacrifices and then it just very intensely gets to these almost life ending situations you know the 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 full out things we will do for love is is the is the line here that that just is mind blowing. It's super powerful. It's this was an unexpected, unexpectedly powerful song, uh, especially this late in the album. I really enjoyed it here. Yes, most definitely. Because yeah, we are getting to close to the finish line here. We're now on the track ten, which is um, if not now, our penultimate song. Um, uh, this one, it's kind of just like, I'm not going to wait around for my lover anymore, which is a bit different than the previous one where you'll go to jail for your lover. Not here. It's um here. A love declared for days to come is as good as none. It's I don't have time for this. You got to say it. And uh, I feel like these lyrics are pretty sassy, but you definitely don't hear that in the delivery. It's all sincere. And along with the arrangement. So I, I don't think it hits as hard as the last one. But I think that it's a neat song. And um, hot tea take. If we're going to make a love song on the album, a single, I think this should have been it instead of Baby Can I Hold You. Um, because th this there's more going on here. And I think it's just more of a complete idea. And because of that, it's a stronger song. So that is my take. That's my take here.
Yeah, that, that's not hot in my opinion because this song is so much fuller um, than than the the other than the latter. It, it is it's just a beautiful beautiful composition. It's laid out for me. I mean, you've touched on on most everything I have here, but for me, this one I get a lot of Carly Simon in here, and this is actually. I like to think of her carrying that singer songwriter torch that we were talking about earlier into the masses here and, and it paying homage to Taylor, to Simon, to Fogelberg, to whomever, all of these artists that I really hear in this composition. This is such, I use the word full, but like, or fuller, this is such a great composition. It's so full it's well done. This is one of those ones on here that is fully fleshed out and you immediately know it. I didn't think of Simon, Carly Simon before, but now I totally can hear that. But uh, if we want to talk about a co-sign from that previous generation, um, one session player on this album actually really stuck out to me, uh, Larry Klein. He's played with a lot of people, but at the time this album was released, he was married to none other than Joni Mitchell. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I noticed that immediately. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wow. Not that she still wasn't going, but this is a new young lady we're hearing, Miss Tracy here. That's pretty cool. I, I thought that was too. But uh, that's me getting sidetracked because now we're at the end of this. We have to talk about the final track on the album, which is For You. Um, Yeah, it's another love song. And uh, it's about kind of, I, I take it as having just no words and just losing control because of the love that you feel. Like, no longer the master of my emotions. Um, That's definitely relatable if you've ever been in love. So let's get that out of the way. And um, I think this is a perfect closer for the album because, as I said earlier, there's this under pinning of love throughout this these songs like she does have a vision for a better world here even on the angry protest songs um and i think that's really important to underscore and because of that i think it's the perfect way to end the album yeah i mean it's such a powerful ender man like her she has such a unique voice and i know we've said it a bunch but like this is the most powerful that we get to hear her unique voice on this album and it's the closer man and the guitar here is so beautiful and i love i like to think all these are real thoughts but we're ending the album with a solo acoustic song the same way we began the album and that for me has another level of power to this song really great ender here agreed and there we have it tracy chapman's self-titled debut a, a blueprint in a lot of ways for the next 35 years of singer-songwriters. Definitely an important album that I'm glad we got the cover, even if it was a bit different for us. Um, not the first album I ever thought we'd cover here, but I'm glad we did it. Yeah, me too. Thank you for this one. Not, it was my pleasure. Um, what grade do you give this album today, 2023? All of the nostalgia 
almost flew out the door right away with this one. It had been so long since I had even heard Fast Car echoing throughout the house or any of the other tracks um, that I really got to take a neat, almost first listen, you know, like minus Fast Car and some some other sounds um, that that were very close to me. But going through this, it is a really neat thought of an album. It is a really neat look at a very unique artist doing exactly what she loves. And that is singing about the strife of, of humanity, um, whatever it may be. And she gets her points across on so many different songs uh, in, a, in a bevy of different ways, too. And I really enjoy that about this one. There are gripes that I have with the musicality and some of this on some of these songs, knowing that it was an eight week process leads me to believe that some of these songs are are studio written or machine written. But that doesn't rip this album apart. Um, it really just adds a tiny bit to the lows. But those are few and far between. There's a lot of really beautiful music, beautiful thoughts, and beautiful feelings inside of this album. And for that, I'm going to give it a B. All righty. I'm going to go a bit higher, actually. B+. Plus. Uh, I, I do think that the production could be better. Don't disagree with you on that. But overall, I think that, I mean, good songs can transcend that. And I think this album does have good songs. And uh, I think that it's uh, really a well-thought-out album. Like, as a mission statement for this self-titled debut, like, you've got to tell me who you are as an artist. And I hear that on every song on this album, whether or not it's my favorite, I feel like I got an idea of who this artist is. And um, it was pretty deliberate to me for the most part. I can see how, like, it was laid out. I think it flows together very nicely for the most part. And, uh, I mean, I just gotta... I also really have to give credit for songs that, even though they were written about a certain point in time, they still hit hard today because they speak to our society. And for that, I have to hand, get, tip my hat to it. Very well put. Very well put. Yes. And uh, favorite song? I'm going to go Mountains of Things. I really enjoy I how much I love that song. It's yeah. a great one. That one's a close second for me, but I'm going to go with the basic option. It, it's Fast Car. Heard that. Timeless song is a timeless song. What, okay. what else can be said about it? And it is better than the cover. There you go. There you that, go. That's all I gotta say about that. Uh, and it seems most people agree with that. I ran a couple polls of on our social media. Uh, most of them did lean towards the original. So the people have spoken. Yes, we mustn't forget where it came from, folks. So <laughs> heard that. Um, but yes, now we are done with this album, and now we have another a self-written singer-songwriter album. Um, and uh, can you please tell me what that is? And our, our listeners. Yes, yes. Our next self-written singer-songwriter albums. Going back a little bit farther than 1988. We're going back to 1970. And uh, catching up with a man who was 
going through some wild times with his longtime band and and did a thing on his own and that man is paul mccartney and we're gonna break down his mccartney album oh yes fun um so before that a good thing to do you might want to listen to our episode on the beatles let it be for some background on that album Uh, i'm gonna tell you that right now because um i think it will be important to know when you go into mccartney the solo album um indeed but before you do all of that I have the links for this in the bio, but please follow us on social media at Turntables and Tea Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Turntables Tea on Twitter. Also, rate and subscribe us wherever you're listening to us. That would be much appreciated. Yep. And uh, maybe I'm amazed that we're still doing this podcast, but we'll be here next week. Adios. Peace.